0: Chapter 17 Marida got as much sleep as she could before the sun rose. She found that she was sleeping better and her arm ached less than it did before. The sun had made its way through the painted glass of her window and she opened her eyes to its glow. Alone in her room at dawn was a peaceful moment that almost did not seem real. The woman blinked her long red lashes at the light thinking back to all that had happened since she boarded the boats heading to the north. She had narrowly escaped death by the hands of the Norsemen a few times now. But now she was safe in the confines of the great castle Mackintosh. Was that really the truth? Safety was a false hope, her mind turned to the vision she had of this very castle in ruins. That was the future shown to her by the goddess. All of this around her, all this quiet interrupted by the happy voices of chattering maids was not a reality of the future to come. Unless she could change it. The princess sat up in bed now and wrapping her blankets around herself she moved to the window opening it wide. Merida looked down and shuddered against the fall winds. Snow would fall soon and the raids of their lands would stop, but not till after the cold. The villagers started calling the last very large raid of their lands from the Norsemen the Kull, where the evil from the north gathered all of their strengths and set their ships west towards Scotland for one final decimation before winter. Food stores, animals, young women, and necessities for the winter months to come, all pillaged, all gone. Starvation faced the people who would survive the burning and mass slaughter. That is what Merida's warriors were counting on. All the clans had moved the majority of their best and bravest to the northern lands to the most wealthy of the castles. It was the jewel of the Northern Sea, Castle Mackintosh was now stronger than ever, as well as richer than anyone could fathom. This was their last front, a plan that was doomed. Fate Changer, that is who the goddess addressed Merida as. Yes, she had changed her fate once in the past, but only by the skin of her teeth. This time it was not just her mother and brothers at stake. It was all of those walking below her window that morning. It was all of those at Castles, MacGuffin, Dunbrock, Dinwall, and all the villages in between. It was the lives of Eve's small stable hand and the children from the sick halls in Castle MacGuffin, Frazier, and Aisling. What would happen to them if the Scotsman would fall? The mother goddess Tharnu did not mention the warriors, she only talked about what Marida had to do. But what was that exactly? It has to do with Krom. Merida was thinking deeply not paying attention to anything around her. She just looked out her window lost in her own mind. What could Krom Kroach have a do with the Norse men anyway? Merida was a very smart woman, but even the smartest of men would never figure out what her vision was telling the princess. Answers not found by one could be found by many. She would need help, who would have the answers to killing an ancient god. The red-headed lass side, she knew who was able to help her. So the princess of Dunbroch slipped a warm fall dress over her head and made her way to the scroll room, to find Wee Lord Dingwall. But he was not in the scroll room. Marita took her breakfast there, some type of pastry with dried fruits. So she waited, clouds had rolled into the north from the east. The same winds that would bring the Norsemen to them. So she sat with the window open viewing the sea from the red chair in the corner. The storm was rolling in, and so were the lords of the castles into the scroll room. There the battle plans were laid out on a group of tables placed together to hold the large skin that held the image of the castle and grounds. Merida watched, and her younger brother Harris joined her. He had noticed her quiet behaviour and took a place next to the princess away from the window. Harris followed his sister's eyes as she watched the storm coming in off the sea. The king and the clansmen would take turns pointing at the skin here and there, fixing the mistakes they saw. They would move the boat figures, then draw them back to the shore that was drawn on the skin. They would plan for more trenches to be dug. Their numbers had dwindled as a whole, and the Northmen's attack from the north would be a large one. But all in all, they felt confident. Ian MacIntosh, Innes' eldest son, was there as well. He was instructed not to talk as most of the men had been. So he stood watching the princess from the other side of the room over the battle table, pretending to take in all the lords were saying. He was really thinking about all the presents he had brought to her room. She was wearing one of the dresses he had asked the sempstresses to make. Ian was feeling guilty for the incident in the princess's room. If she had come to her room and seen him and the woman, Her name escaped him, in the state he was in. Ian flushed, thinking of himself undressing for that woman, she had tricked him, he was sure of it. Many women had tried what the black haired lass had, and had even been bolder. But if she had found out what had happened, Merida would be out of reach. But he was lucky, and he thought he had escaped that situation unscathed. Sure, he had taken part in his fun with women but what fun was an easy catch. Ever since he was a little boy he had taken part in hunts with the other clansmen. Nothing made him happier than chasing down a deer or spearing a boar. Now the uncatchable silver stack was the affection of the princess. He just had to use the right bat. It was just like hunting, he was sure of it, but she was not like the other women. Other women would have thrown themselves at him when presented with half the presents he had given her. So that was not the way to her affections. Ian licked his lips thinking as he watched her hair wave at the storm winds he needed to change his bait, or his tactics. Outwitted. Harris whispered to his sister. I cannot stand such moody behavior from you, it's getting tea be tiring he was right there was something on her mind. It's all for naught. Why is that? Harris was a bit annoyed by her nonchalant pessimism, she sensed his discomfort by the way he shifted his weight from one foot to another. The real fight is out there. Harris, the army is knee big enough, we will be crushed, dash, she turned to her brother, she did not mean to sound like there was no hope. There was in fact hope, she just had to find it, and the answer had to do with the blood god Kronkruach. But I have a feeling. Merida considered telling Harris what she had seen the other night. But Innes was a yard or so away, this was not the time for that. Her eyes darted to Lord MacIntosh for a second then back to the window. He was the one who had fed the monster in her dreams. Any other human would shudder and draw back from Innes but not Merida. She had drank from the firefalls, and the blood of kings pulsed through her like lightning runs through clouds. Ark, oh, really, Marida? Harris looked at her, pleading in his eyes. He knew every time she had a notion she would disappear off on her own, that was not ideal right now. She motioned to him to come closer. You know, I saw something in that cauldron. What I saw needs more than swords and arrows to yield it. I will need something older. Clan Macintosh has a harp, but I don't want the creature teeth sleep. I need to. Creature. I, Harris. And I need to kill it. Merida was serious, but something told Harris this was not the shock the healers had said would affect her. There was a clarity and softness in her eyes. If there was something scary enough to be called a creature by his sister, it was real. It was also a threat. Clanding Wall has a stone. It was wielded by the Dachter they say, as a sling stone. It had killed many of the Fomorians with a single shot, dash, the Dachter was the chieftain of the gods, he wielded a great club so large that it needed to be dragged upon on wheels. He fought the Fomarians, a monster race, for the lands they stood on. Harris thought deeply on his sister's words. This world they lived in was full of mysteries, if he had asked the druid, she would tell him what Merida was saying was the truth. But no one had heard of gods for many years. Rabbi would never give me the stone of his own free will, not without something in return. Harris felt a chill through his body. Remember all those years back. When I challenged the suitors to an archery competition, Rabbi Dingwall won that competition. Marida was willing to do anything to change the future, even her freedom was dispensable. Harris opened his mouth to protest. Not for the bet he had made with the lords. If she chose We Dingwall then he would lose that bet badly. This protest was for her happiness. And she did not look happy. She would never be happy with Dingwall. Don't marry for material things, you can borrow them much cheaper. The druid had appeared like a mist from behind them. She looked onward to the lord smiling, Harris turned to face her slightly. He had no trust in the druid after she had forced Marita's face first into a vat of boiling water. If one of Merida's hairs had been harmed on her head Harris would have had the druid's head. But she had come with a solution that was not the forced marriage of the Dingwall man to his sister. So he stayed watchful. The druid smiled at the princess and handed out a wineskin. It's the water from the cauldron. I have a feeling that if you offer it to the gods, they will help us as we prepare for the days ahead. Maybe they will help you find your answer. Marida nodded, and reached past her brother who was staring down the small woman. Thank you. Marida said honestly. The druid patted her small hand as she passed the skin over with a polite smile. We are counting on you a fate changer. And with that she moved back to her collection of books past the curtains in the back of the scroll room. Meanwhile Ian McIntosh had almost bitten a hole in his lip watching the conversation on the other side of the room. His eyes locked with Merida for a moment as she held the wineskin. What was that the druid had given his future bride? Merida nodded at him as a hello of sorts and the wineskin was pulled away from his sights behind her. Ian was so curious to find out it burned a hole in his stomach. Unfortunately the royal siblings left the room, while he had to stay by his father, unable to follow. Chapter 18 Merida walked towards the great room from the scroll room, as she went to leave her brother Harris called to her. You don't think I can make you promise me to not to run away. Harris The final fight was drawing near and he was becoming sentimental. His older sister turned back and held her brother's shoulder in her hand firmly. You wee devil. You know I always come back. That was a bit too much for him to hear. Harris nodded and looked away trying to hide the tears forming in his eyes. Me and your brothers. Even the... We know you're free to go as you please, but in the skirmish at Castle MacGuffin. We almost lost you. Marida, how is your arm? Harris looked down at the arm that was fractured by a Northman's shield. She drew back her arm away from her brother's. It's fine. It hurts you still. Harris was serious, her hand slipped from his shoulder and she turned to leave. But Harris held her shoulders now with his own firm hands in concern. We need you Merida, you're the crown princess, you're our future queen. He held her into his arms, his chin resting on the top of her curly locks. Your brothers need you, so does mum. He let go of his elder sister. Nodding to her that he was done making a fuss, and returned to the scroll room. Her eyes looked to her hip where the bag of magic water hung. Hopefully the gods had an answer. The princess went to the kitchens and ultimately to the outside of the castle walls. There on a peg was a woolskin hooded cloak, and she picked it up. It was raining outside. The kitchens were crowded with happy maids and servants. Cooking meats were thick in the air but stepping out in the rain a wet grass smell washed away the kitchen aromas. The rain drummed on her hood, many people passed her, running for shelter but her destination was outside the stone walls. Marita walked to the grasses nearest to the shore. People of her faith put out offerings to the gods or the fairy folk. Milk and honey mostly, sometimes gold. I guess this'll do. Merida looked at the wineskin and held it out as an offering. She was alone out here and could not see a soul. Um, excuse me. She was addressing anything that would hear her. This was her first time she had made an offering not being a very strong believer in the gods. But she had never had to kill a monster before. Mordu was a magic bear, but she never faced him one-on-one and one. Cromet bears like Mordu for a midnight snack. Maybe a bit of blessing from the gods was not a bad idea, she was already soaked anyhow might as well get on with it. Suddenly she found the words she was looking for. I have never done this before. But we as a people have never faced such a great evil. I’m not asking you to make me stronger or make me brave. That is something that I can do by myself. What I ask is for time to change our fates and for knowledge to help me to find the answers. She poured out the water. But nothing happened, though she did not expect sparks and rainbows. Marita sighed she was wet and getting colder now. I will not fail you, or any of them. She pointed behind her at the castle. I promised myself, many of the dead, and the living. Chrome Docinia scare me anymore. Somehow the princess felt better, and she made her slow walk back to the castle and to a hot bath. But there was a bit of the Mother Goddess in that water for unseen in the rain, things began to grow in the cold soil that never existed on the island before. They grew unnaturally quick as plants go, but so slowly, that no one noticed them. The gods had been listening. That night was a celebration, in honor of all the clans coming together for Samhain. There were thousands of things Marida would rather do than go to some damn dance. She would never repeat it to anyone but the dance was a nice surprise and even she could agree it was a welcome change of mood. They should still be on high alert, that was the reason Marieder would keep her bow and arrows neatly hidden behind her chair in the great hall. Harris had made it a point to his sister that she should look her best, and sent a maid who was rather burly to see to that matter. Her brother knew well enough she would escape from the perils of being a young beautiful woman if he did not have backup. So at about noon the middle-aged maid that could substitute in for a caber tosser knocked on Merida's door. The princess had no escape, her hair was washed then dried, as she was forced into a corset. Then Merida suffered through the silk dress that was shoved over her head as she had her hands scrubbed to a healthy pink. Merida had argued her way out of a head covering, but a circlet of mother of pearl and silver still rested above her brow. Her stomach began to churn. She hated the thought of men and women looking at her dressed this way. The people of the court were much more versed in matters of grace and beauty, looking into the polished bronze mirror held in front of her Merida did not see how she could be one of them. It disappointed her, she was not the graceful lady her mother was. Merida let out a long shaky breath as a man would before entering battle. This was going to be an interesting night. The hall of Macintosh was a large one, not so much in height as Castle Dingwall was, but in length. It was a long room not a circular one, and was lined with benches with tables in front of them. Banners and tapestries were hung up, and torches brought forward. The castle was a wealthy one, and attracted lots of trade. So there would be food for the royal families from France, and spices from Spain. Innes MacIntosh wanted to impress the lords, and the king. From the looks of it, he was succeeding. The kitchens pumped out a fog of delicious smells, and food and ale began to circulate. Especially the mead made with the very famous apples the clan was known for growing. Innes was waiting in the great hall in a chair upon the stage where all the lords and royalty sat. He smiled as he sipped a dark brew from a horn and watched Rostingwall without his son march up the steps. Innes MacIntosh let out a snicker as Ross ordered an extra cushion on his chair so he could sit at the same head height as the other lords. Grant MacGuffin was next, he was as tall as an oak but so quiet that he sometimes went unnoticed. He was next to come down the hall, and he was dressed as the other lords were. Grant wore his best studded leather breastplate, engraved with knotwork from the south where he lived. His hair was freshly combed and pulled back to a fantastic braid, his beard even looked shiny and well-kept. Grant had on a great badger sparring with silver and semi-precious gems. He dressed every bit a lord but a part of him carried away from Innes and Ross Stare. He was afraid of his new tittle Innes reflected. Grant was not ready just yet to have been made lord, but no one foresaw the sudden death of his father. Grant MacGuffin took an uneasy seat next to the lords, then the triplet princes joined them in the great hall in the company of the bear king. King Fergus was regal in only one aspect, he could draw a crowd to watch his every move without saying a word. The queen was the respectable one as Fergus would be more prone to fist fight than to talk nice. To challenge Fergus to a knuckle brawl would be to prove yourself as a very dumb man or a brave one. As the king was true to his nickname, he was as big as a bear, just with blazing red hair and a long graying red beard. His sons were spitting images of himself, they were well on their way to be copies of their father. Fergus settled into his chair and smiled at his son Hamish, carrying on a conversation about the battlements of the castle. Innes interrupted as the boys settled down onto the benches beside the king's chair. Where is your daughter? This got Ross' attention as he whipped his head around. Whore, I, my son has been wanting to see her, Ross turned his head looking over the room trying to find his son in the crowds. This was the first time since the bet they had talked about the princess's hand. Fergus looked over to Harris, he had been appointed as a babysitter, this evening. There was no controlling Marita but someone had to keep tabs on her. Harris nodded reassuringly at his father, as Lord Grant MacGuffin looked then into his cup, listening intently. Ark, she will be here soon enough. I got the biggest of the maids in the castle to assist her. you T- make sure she gets here. Eventually, laughed Fergus taking a swig of the amber liquid in his cup, passed to him by Hubert. He knew his daughter better than anyone and had made him laugh when she would defy the expectations that were pressed onto her. She was more than a handful, thinking about a bigger woman trying to go see his daughter up brought out a large smile. So how will you pay out your bet? Innes felt like getting under Dingwall's skin and that was just the way to do it. PPPFFT Ross buttered, as if the idea was unfathomable. I don't think so, Innes. Rabbi is the one who is cateen her at the moment. Grant shook his hand as it was covered with ale. Harris noticed this, wondering how Grant split his drink. But the lord did not spill his drink, Grant passed the shards of a bullhorn cup to his second-in-command, standing behind him. Grant MacGuffin had crushed his cup in his hand the moment the lords mentioned the wedding of the princess. Grant looked as if nothing had happened and was past a fresh cup, it would have gone unnoticed, but Harris was very observant. Lord MacGuffin's strength was something to fear, if he did not have the quiet demeanour of an old cow, he would be terrifying to behold. At this time not more than a handful of people knew about the departure of Bridget, as it was quite sudden. Harris watched the lord out of the corner of his eye, Hamish noticed his brother was stiff in the shoulders, and watched his gaze looking at the giant blonde lord. Hamish even noticed how tense Grant was from the ongoing conversation. Hamish remembered what his brother said to Grant's younger brother Garrett. When will he figure out he loves her? From the looks of it, Hamish thought, it could be tonight. From what I hear, Rostingwall continued. Your son has any a been seen near her since we arrived. And all them fancy pulchery gifts he gave her at all for nothing. Ark. Ross wits for ye'll no go by ye. King Fergus was on his fourth pint and teasing the lords was high on the to-do list tonight. Ross nodded thinking the king was on his side and he let out a hump in Innis direction, as if to say so there. Innes laughed. Oh I, I do believe your son is doing better then. I don't think he fancies anything in this world more than his books. That is what they were a-saying about your son but any with books. With all the quins in the castle. Ross crossed his arms and puffed up his chest, he was quick to take someone down but he hated being made fun of, he was known to be a poor sport. Well at least M boy will know how to treat her. Innes reached forward to grab another pint of ale, and before King Fergus could, Grant MacGuffin beat him to the punch. Lord MacGuffin kicked the wooden chair Innes had been sitting on out of the way, so the Lord came down hard on his ass when he went to sit down again. It all looked like an accident had the king not noticed it himself. Innes spilled a full large cup of his draught all over himself, and many of the clansmen laughed heartily. King Fergus smiled at the docile bearded Lord of Clan MacGuffin, he was quicker than he thought he was, as well as strong. Ross was just about to throw another quip at Innes when a bagpipe sounded at the far side of the hall. There entered Merida, a big burly woman behind her as if to stop her escape back through the door whence she came. Merida strode in, pulling one side of her mouth to a smile. She looked as a dog would, being forced to wear a human dress, she looked unimpressed. The king smiled proudly, she had taken her looks from his side of the family. Merida was a stunning beauty, and he was proud her looks rivaled her skill in battle. There were many stories of warrior queens, but to see one was something that made the king happy that she was his daughter. Innes and Ross were both equally pleased with how the princess could polish up so nicely being she would be one of their new daughters-in-law. Hubert and Hamish continued to talk among themselves as more eyes were drawn to their sisters entranced down the long hallway. She had arrived late for a princess, but in the nick of time for the festivities of Samhain to start. Hamish looked over his shoulder from his bench where he sat towards his sister then at Grant who had sat next to him in his own chair. He could not pinpoint the look on Lord MacGuffin's face. He did not smile or look happy, rather Grant looked as if in a trance. His green eyes looked forward like he was taking in a sunrise by himself. He looked at peace. Grant was lost. Everything around him fell away. He had seen her in a nightgown before in his dreams and by the lake the first night they met weeks ago. But this was something different. She was wearing a dress of woven cotton so fine it shone. It was a gemstone green and deep in colour like the fields in late spring. Her arms were exposed, the fabric being held up by two highly decorated pins at each shoulder. The fabric drooped to expose her collarbones and the soft skin above her. Breasts She was built as gracefully as a swan, her limbs long and toned with muscle. Her small waist circled by a thick belt made of gold, and her hair had been combed with oil so her ringlets were not as wild. The red waterfall of hair fell even longer, reaching past her thighs. Atop her head were some of the family jewels given to Merida to borrow from Castle McIntosh. She had a circlet of gold around her neck and armbands of bronze. Merida walked past a line of clansmen making way for her, smiling, and nodding words of admiration to her as she walked past. This only made her more uncomfortable, Grant could see it. He remembered the first time they met. Where he had the same face of uncertainty and discomfort. He was still getting used to all the attention he received as lord, he could only imagine what it would be like for her. If it was him he would run too. Her skin looked so pale and cool to the touch, her touch— what would that feel like tonight? She had grabbed him by the collar when she was angry, she had shaken him awake and pulled him by the hand. But he had never been touched by her in a gentle manner. When they had shared a kiss he had held a lock of her hair but that was all his own doing. He grew a bit sad as he felt the heartbreak in his chest. Grant would never be with Marieder, not after the way he treated her, and he did not expect her to ever forgive him. Grant looked painfully on as she mounted the stairs in front of him and as she caught his glance with her own he bowed his head to look into his drink Grant felt if he looked any longer he would make a fool of himself and Grant was not wrong Ian had swooped in and helped her up the stairs much to the jealousy of the other woman of the court but it was not just the pretty maids who felt the anger of jealousy rather than watch Ian MacIntosh touch the smalls of Marita's back Grant. Drained his cup, got up and began to look for a kitchen maid who could refill his glass. Merida took her seat gritting her teeth at Ian. She did not need anyone's help to sit down, she was not a baby. Merida nodded back at her father who took her hand and snickered with a wink, he was teasing her. The druid of the castle walked forward as the princess took her seat. With her she brought a basket of bones, cattle to be exact. Welcome my sisters and brothers. The druid wore black and red paint upon her face to scare the spirits away. Tonight we feast on the coming of Kalacher's winter rain. This morning the best bulls and sheep our farmers have slaughtered for us. So we may celebrate the middle of the season and the beginning of the winter months to come. The people nodded in thanks, listening intently to the elderly woman. The farmers waved their hands and a soft clap followed to thank them for their offerings. The bones of the beasts will be sacrificed to the flame as a symbol of the sun, to nourish it as it prepares to fall and die for three days in the heart of winter. Now is the time where the spirits can freely come into our world and pass the night with us. Let us drink to the lost ones. To Lord Gregor MacGuffin, the bear king raised a tree-trunk-sized arm and nodded at Grant who was taking his seat again. Grant held up his horn and nodded seriously to the king. Merida took a cup from her brother who held two and stood up, raising it high. To Lord Gregor. Merida looked over the crowd as the men and women rose from their own seats, drinks held high. Grant fought back tears, the night at the graves came back to him. There he remembered the young lass who honoured his father's grave. The princess's face was solemn as it had been in the moonlight that night. It started to rain harder outside and Grant took to his feet before the crowd. Usually he would be nervous but he took a spot next to Merida, somehow she made him feel stronger. To the men and women we fought beside at Castle MacGuffin. His voice bellowed regally over the hall as MacGuffin scanned the crowd and all had turned quiet. Merida let her eyes drift towards the giant man beside her, he was built like a stone wall. His long arms, strong and sturdy, held out the cup as if it was a sword. It reminded her of the vow he gave the other night. This man was willing to face any nightmares the island could churn up, and that finally hit her. She watched him as a flash of the kiss he gave her came to her mind and Marita's heart gave a strange flutter. She felt oddly proud of Grant at that moment. But a hand from behind her broke her of her spell, it was the hand of Ian McIntosh. Ian stepped to her side opposite of Grant MacGuffin and he too raised his glass with his father behind him. To the men of Castle Dingwall, Innes nodded, Giving a rare tribute to the castle he had spent years feuding with, his son continued, and to the men who lost their lives there. Men and women in the audience began to come together. Men held each other around the shoulders, some bowed their heads to conceal tears. Blue-tattooed Picts were shoulder-to-shoulder with Dingwall and MacGuffin men. Merida was moved. This was the first time the clans felt like there was a small unity between them. She leaned into Ian and put a hand on Grant's arm, the one that held the cup to the air. She felt him shake under her touch. Grant looked like stone but he must have been feeling a great amount of pain. Ross popped up motioning one of his men to put a wooden box down in front of him so he would be almost level with the rest of the lords. Getting up onto the box he raised his glass, his son Rabbi appeared beside him. The triplets had also stood with them, their cups raised. To the men of this castle who last lives here, and the great Picts O' the North, Lord Rostingwall looked tearful and snorted to clear his runny nose. Ian took Rabie in his other arm, his drink still in his hand, resting it on Rabie's shoulder so Ian's cup was still held high. King Fergus was directly behind his daughter. He watched Merida as the druid walked to one of the fires in the middle of the hall and started to scatter the bones on the hearth. The hall was silent and morose, but Fergus had an overwhelming urge to hug his daughter tightly. There she stood in the middle of all the lords locking arms together. Has she finally done it? Did she join the clans together? At this moment it looked just like that had in fact become a reality. Maybe they would win this war. If they did, his daughter played a large role in it. If she had not come on the ship the hope of joining the clans as she had done would be a small one. Yes he kept the bet from her, and the bet of her hand in marriage was a nasty thing to keep from his beloved firstborn. But Harris was right, it was for the good of all of the kingdom. Fergus smiled softly as he watched his daughter do something curious. She turned her head not to the right towards the most handsome clansmen in the northern lands, but to the left. To Lord Grant MacGuffin she rested her eyes, and in. Them and on her lips was not a smile, but the look of deep compassion. The druid then spoke. My children and kin, my brothers and sisters, this night the time for sorrow has passed, the warriors that left us will travel to Turnan Oak, but tonight they are with us. So let us drink, she placed her empty basket on the floor and picked up a healthy-sized glass of ale. For the dead wish to be with us once more, not in sorrow, but in joy. The crowd erupted and the druids' last words were almost drowned. Tonight we celebrate their lives for them and with them. Then the music broke out and the party threw itself into full swing, the lords and the royal family looked onward, drinking deeply. Everyone on the raised platform passed their empty glasses to the servant tending to them, they had all downed a glass as was the custom of Samhain to drink deeply. The druid came back up the stairs, where Merida stood reaching for another horn of sweetheart cider. The others had settled down to their seats after draining their cups. Mo Carmen. Druid said softly to the princess. Merida smiled, but her brothers grew overprotective behind her watching the old woman carefully. Melo, a chieftain of the Tuther Dodarnan lend you his strength in battle and Angusog. Help you see what is in your heart. The old woman smiled smugly for the second part she had whispered to the princess before moving slowly to her own seat. Merida showed no emotion but her heart skipped a beat at what the druid had told her. Merida was about to move to her seat when Rabi confronted her. May I have your first dance? Robbie had combed his hair somewhat, but it stuck up in a permanent cowlick lofting his hair up a bit towards the back. His pale eyes shone. Handsomely, he had done his best to look neat, and together tonight. Merida looked over Robbie's shoulder, she was not a dancer, and looked at her father in slight peril. King Fergus smiled happily and chuckled, shrugging his shoulders, as if to say, you're on your own. No, I, Marida went to back away but Ian was there behind her. Will ye leave the poor lady a noon rabbi, she was about to say she has a dance with Ian puffed out his chest, he was wearing a grand silver buckle studded with emeralds. He was the most handsome man in the room. Ian's raven hair shone with a blue silver glimmer and his eyes were of a sea foam blue. But this did not change the fact Merida felt uneasy being alone with either of the men. With me. I believe she was about to dance with me. A large hand opened in front of her, it belonged to Grant MacGuffin. He was a lord now and had a small hierarchy over the two young lords, so they could not protest for he had the final say. But Grant knew it was Merida who ultimately would choose. She took his hand and they descended the stairs much to the shock of all who sat there, save the triplets. The last song was just finishing playing as they made it down to the floor, there was a small pause for people to catch their breath. I couldn't see you struggling, it's not right for them to put you on the spot like T.H.A., Grant said quickly before Merida could think of something to say. Grant had seen the fear in her eyes when she was confronted abruptly by the two men. Marida nodded, it was very kind of Grant to save her from an uncomfortable situation between the suitors. She had a feeling they still considered themselves to be her suitors, they certainly acted like it. I can hear, dance. Merida whispered. I never had a partner before. She bit her lip, and looked around nervously. Looking like a fool in front of her peers was her biggest fear. Good. Grant smiled. I can dance to a save me life. It was not hard to see that MacGuffin had an almost painful time with dancing, but by some mystery they found a rhythm to the lively dance. Grant easily twirled her around and they followed no dainty form but rather danced to their own steps. The couple laughed the entire time and almost broke a sweat. The clansmen from Clan MacGuffin clapped and hollered at their lord. Grant's second-in-command beamed looking at the son of his best friend who had recently passed. He remembered how the new lord of Castle MacGuffin had been depressed for such a long time. Before Gregor lost his life in battle Grant was shy and messy. Looking at him now, you could never tell that Grant dancing on the floor today was the same Grant hiding behind his father's back years ago. The druid had said that night the recently dead were with them all. Lord Gregor MacGuffin's best friend had tears in his eyes, he wished Gregor could see his own son now, Grant looked so happy. Merida could not remember a time where she had laughed so hard. Grant stepped on her feet and apologized profusely. His unsteady movements and often mistakes made him look like a bear trying to waltz. Merida could not contain her laughter. Isne you MacGuffin? She said between giggles, Merida was laughing so hard she was almost crying. Do you look so silly? She was stumbling along too with the music but they were getting rapidly better, yet her laughter continued. Ark, I but not as silly as you look between Rabbi and Ian. Merida laughed harder thinking about how terrified she must have looked. She could face monsters and the Norsemen but she feared being fought over by the two young lords. Grant was right, the thought was a funny one. When I was first made Lord I tripped during the ceremony, and I stepped so hard on Bridget's foot she was sore for a week. They looked at each other in a moment of seriousness as Marita could not tell if Grant said this in confidentiality. But as she looked up at Grant his serious face cracked into a chuckle and she started to giggle, soon they were in another bout of laughter. Thinking that the two had hardly noticed the song had stopped, Ian was behind Merida again. The music had stopped to a pause and she realised she held Lord MacGuffin's hand a bit too long and took it away quickly. Merida looked around and passed Ian at the frowning faces of the Lord Stingwall and Macintosh. Had she acted in a way that may make the lords sift apart? The clansmen around her had their eyes following her every move, she felt suddenly claustrophobic. Marida, my princess, I request your hand. Merida's stomach dropped. The wording he used was a poor choice. For the next dance. Merida forced herself to nod, Ian beamed at her. If she was going to dance with one of the lords she would have to dance with others, it only was fair, no matter how it made her. She held out her hand for Ian to hold but she quickly took it away. Ian looked at her in confusion but she was not looking at him she was looking behind him. Over his shoulder was a frowning King Fergus Dunbrock. A man was talking into his ear frantically and the triplets also listened in, showing concern. Merida picked up her dress and hurried through the crowd ascending the stairs to the king. Merida made it just in time to hear the tale end of the conversation. We would have found him if he didn't call out. Call out for what? Hubert hissed. Whatever they had been talking about they were shaken about it. Merida drew closer and her father held out his hand so she may hold it. His grip on her was a strong one, she knew what had happened before they told her. It was time. Why did he scream out? Hamish repeated what his brother had said, the man they were talking to was soaked from the storm outside. H was covered in these, the warrior held out a blue-purple flower on a thorny plant, even holding it had made the man's hand bleed. Merida took her hand away from her dad's grip, and went to touch the flower, it bit at her touch, and a bead of blood grew from her finger. No one had ever seen this type of flower anywhere near their lands. He screamed, and we found a whole group of them heading towards the castle. We caught them just in time. Killed a lot of them. My king, their ships are on the horizon. We could hardly spot them dipping and bobbing in the waves, the storm concealed them. King Fergus looked at his sons and finally at Merider, then nodded for the warrior to be dismissed. Start getting the men to the battlements. Fergus Dunbrock looked over to the lords that sat next to him, they were talking to their own men, they had been informed already. Grant made his way up the steps to the group. An announcement had to be made, the Norsemen had come. Fergus Dunbrock got up from his chair using his arms to help him up on his prosthetic wooden leg. He could see the bagpiper across the room and signaled him to stop the music. The hall was still full of mumming people. Tonight we celebrate the Forlan, dash, the king started to talk, and the mummering of the crowds fell away. All looked onward even they had sensed something of importance had happened. That they celebrate with us tonight. I can I can feel them here with us. Your father, he held Grant's shoulder, and he stood at the side of the king. Gregor is here, with us. Lord MacGuffin had died fighting the Norsemen, no better a course to have given your life for. That is why we are all here, to protect our families, our friends. We just gotten word they are, approaching, the Norsemen are here. Dash? Grant raised his voice, he sensed the king feeling a bit disheartened by the thought of battle that night, it had come too soon. No better time to have come. Grant made his hand into a fist as the crowds had started to uneasily talk among themselves. But a speech from Grant MacGuffin was unheard of as he was typically quiet. This strange sight made them silence down, ears tuned to hear every word from the new Lord. They took enough. They took our homes, when they burned them, and made us feel unsafe. They took our families our wee lasses, never to see them again. They took M the, your Lord MacGuffin. Clansmen from Clan MacGuffin nodded, those wearing them took their hats off their head and looked down upon their feet. They still mourned for him like their new Lord Grant had. Tonight, he is with us. And what do you think he would say? He would want us to drive them back into the sea like the demons they are. And the people they took tea never see again, the ones. They left behind for us to bury. They are here tonight. To fight by our sides one last time. What better time tea have them come than tonight? Some of the men had begun to sob, but pulled themselves into a cheer with the rest of the clansmen. They had been moved by the young man's words. If he was ready to fight for the fallen members of his family, they could fight for theirs. Merida was shocked. Her brothers and her father were the only ones she knew who could stir a crowd. But tonight the one to draw the men together was not even herself, it was the quiet man in front of her. She reflected how alone he must feel. She had her family, her clansmen, she was not completely accountable for all of their lives as Grant was to his men. It was all riding on his back, the lives of his men were under his protection. On top of that his father had been killed not long ago, not enough time to mourn. He was a large man, but the burden on him must have been ten times larger. Merida fought back the heartbreak and the guilt of MacGuffin's father's death as she reached towards her brother. Hamish gave a half-smile and passed Merida her bow and fletch of arrows. Hamish had promised to bring them to the hall that night, they went with Merida wherever she went. Silently she put the bow over her shoulder as she listened to the rest of the speech, being taken up by her father once again. We will all start to get to the battlements. Let's do that in an easy and calm fashion. The people started to leave the hall. The druid reached her hands out to the sky. May the gods be with us. Marida looked at the druid thinking about her words. No, it was not going to be the gods they depended on, it would be up to Merida. She was not ready, her plan. Had never materialized in her head on what she was supposed to do, but whatever it was it had to happen tonight. She only knew it included Krum Kruach. Chapter 19 Around the castle the mood was turned from a celebratory to a serious one. But something was different this time there was camaraderie, there was hope. The clansmen men showed no feelings of despair or sadness, only pride and courage as they walked together to the smith shops. Yes they had been caught off guard but Grant's speech made them feel oddly calm. Were there the spirits of the fallen around them that night? No one could tell for certain but it felt as if they were tenfold their size that moment. Even though most of the mothers had gone to the battlements, this was surely the last stand. But Merida was not going to be with these men and women as they moved towards the army. The crowds all moved forward to the north of the castle but she was headed in a different direction and there was no time to waste. Merida took the circlet of stones off her head and set them on the king's chair. She gripped the bow and strung it over her shoulder and across her chest. The bow was sturdy and almost unbreakable, it matched her own mood. The feel of the wood that had served her for many years gave her confidence. Marida took a step off the podium but was caught in the arms of young Lord Macintosh. Ian whirled her around in his embrace, Merida was pale and shocked, her hands had gripped her bow and given her no chance to push him away before he planted a kiss on her forehead. Merida was baffled, but her mood soon started to turn into seething anger if it was not for the cheer of the crowds around her. It had created a positive mood for the men walking to battle, someone had kissed the untouchable princess, and it caused the clans to whoop in excitement. For that reason alone, she did not threaten Ian McIntosh's life as he knelt in front of her, still holding her with his long arms. My Bonnie Quinn, Ian batted his long black eyelashes up at her as she tried with all her might to not clout him on his beautiful head. In her eyes roared a fire of hatred that mimicked the sun's own flame. Wait for me to return, and we shall have our dance, in the meantime, I will fight for you. And with that Ian departed quickly, the men from his clan lifting him upon their shoulders as he blew her more kisses. Merida was bright red, and shot a glance at MacGuffin who returned it with his own shocked look. Grant's hand was bone white from the fist he made and seeing this Merida started to make her way through the crowds. She could not place Grant's emotion so she decided that was her cue to leave. In Merida's own mind she believed there was no chance between her and Grant, not after the words he had said to her defending Bridget despite the vow and what he had told her at Castle MacGuffin. Bridget was far more of a beauty than she was, Grant deserved another more fitting bride. Her life was to serve her clansmen in battle, not to sew and brush her hair all days long. He would be better of W a real lass, not a warrior like me. Besides, Merida thought to herself as she was slowly fighting being swept up in the clansmen as she crossed the hall. He doesn't even have any want for me. Marida had only one destiny to concentrate on, and that was the one that included the ancient blood god, Krom Kruach, and herself. The crowds around her acted like raging water, and she struggled through them as if she crossed a strong rapid. Marida was making her way down the hallway, but was halted by a noise behind her. Marida. Hubert was pushing himself forward towards her through the moving people. She turned back to see him, but continued on forward, rushing now. Stop! Hubert yelled again. Leve me be Hubert. I have a tea go, yes there was no stopping her, she was as steadfast as the stone the cliffs were made of. I done here needs my brother's tea to look after me. Go find the other wee devils Hubert. She swayed onward. Harris and Hamish are fine. They can take care of themselves. But what about you? Where are you going? Hamish and Harris were out of view, there was no turning back now for Hubert. I need to go and find, Marita shook her head. She did not really have an answer, she just knew she needed to do something. She could change this war, it was all on her. But she had not a clue what she needed to do. Marita stopped in her tracks and pushed a handful of hair out of her face so her hand could rest on her forehead. What am I to do? Woot? Woot is so important that you are willing to run from battle. Hubert was desperate, pleading, he felt ill as he finally caught up to his sister who was standing still. She was in deep thought, and he put a hand on her shoulder looking into her distant eyes. That was it. She was running from battle, running away was a theme of hers. But what if it was running into battle that could fix things? Until this sudden clarity she thought killing Krom was her destiny in order to save all that she loved. But what if Krom was the answer all along? What if it was not her battle to fight Krom but bring him to battle the Norsemen? The men from the north were terrifying but Krom was a real monster from ancient times. Krom had fed on Norsemen for who knows how. Many years now. Is that what the mother goddess wanted her to do? To release the great evil from under the earth? Darnu pointed at Krom Kruach in Marita's vision, it was the answer. She needed to bring Krom to the Norsemen. A dark wicked smile grew on the princess's fair face as she thought deeply, she needed a way to draw the monster to follow her. It was all or nothing. Merida Woot is wrong. Hubert could feel his stomach turn, his sister was a stone stuck in time, yet she had such a dark look in the blue emeralds that were set in her fair face. Marida had the same stillness in her eyes the druid had, a look of deep dark hidden secrets, and it gave him the shivers. Then tears beaded in his sister's eyes and she turned to her younger brother, snapping out of her sleep, a smile upon her lips. Hubert you damn devil. You did it. You figured it out. Where are the bodies? Marita smiled up at him genuinely thankful that her plan was now clear. Hubert drew back, wrenching his hand from his sister's. Have you gone mad? He was pale and clammy from her dark mood. His sister asked for the bodies of dead men. Merida grabbed her brother's hands again. The dead Norsemen, where are they? Merida you're frigging me. Hubert's face was drained of colour, but he was here to help. He already committed himself no matter what he had to face, even his sister's madness. Merida always could figure things out, and Hubert secretly knew she was where Harris drew his wit from, though he would never say that out loud to his eldest brother. Maybe she is on tea something. There, a few yards behind Hubert was Lord MacGuffin. He still stood on the podium watching the brother and sister talking to each other. The other lords had disbanded. And disappeared into the crowds a while ago. Yet, there MacGuffin stood, his second-in-command was hissing in his ear, trying to urge the lord to move, to join the clans to battle. But Grant was torn, there was the woman who saved his life leaving for her own destiny, and on the other hand was his duty of his lordship to his clansmen. This was the last time he would have the opportunity to watch her beautiful red hair move with every excited word spoken. Merida was speaking unheard words to her brother too far away from Grant to hear. Her emerald blue eyes dazzled even from afar. Grant would have no time to bid her goodbye, he was already wasting time watching her where he was. That is why his heart broke then, and its pain made him rooted as an old tree. She was so smart as well as a strong warrior. The bravest he had ever seen, and as brave as Merida was, she was just as beautiful. Grant fought tears as he felt jealousy for Ian's kiss, Ian was the braver man to have been so bold to Merida. Grant felt despair, never got the chance to tell Marieter he loved her still, and he realized his feelings too late. Yes, he told her how he felt at Castle MacGuffin, but that was quickly washed away by his bumbling idiotic behavior of standing by his untrustworthy ex-fiancée. Marieter, Thirty yards away, talked excitedly to her brother, both of his hands in her own. Her hands, Lord MacGuffin remembered what they felt like as they danced. Grant was unmoved, bewitched by his own memories unfolding in his head. Though Grant could not hear what the siblings were saying, he did not need to. She was leaving, and he knew where she was going. The pain of heartbreak rattled through him, it was moments ago his wishes came true, and he was held by the princess as they both laughed the night away in the music. But that seemed to be a different world, as if it happened hundreds of years ago. The Norsemen were here and he would need to lead his men, something Merida was not going to be present for. This, Kurt, B. Grant said distantly, his father's best friend followed his gaze to the red-haired princess. Grant's second in command stopped hissing and urging at Grant MacGuffin. Coming to the sad realization of his lord's unacquitted love for the strong princess of Dunbroch, he was silenced. A large hand rested on Grant's shoulder. MacIntosh and Dingwall were leading the charge on the sea by boat. They had a few moments. A few moments later, Grant, his godchild, would reflect on his whole life. If she was lost tonight, Lord MacGuffin was saying goodbye. I'm going, you know I am, do you have any idea where they keep the bodies? Merida was dead serious. Hubert nodded. There was no use, he would rather help his sister than hinder her. His elder brothers had already proven themselves. Harris was the crowned prince, Hamish was the skilled warrior, what was he? Yes, Hubert was a warrior like his brother Hamish, and he was smart like his brother Harris but his star never shone as brightly as his brothers before him. He was not useless, he would help his sister then join the fray. Aye, I will show yer. They would bring them to the sheds. Hubert took her hand in his own tightly and shouldered the crowd ahead of them in a hurry. How do you? The smell of human flesh rotting. It's something hard to forget. I found it a while ago, Remembering what you said about, no graves that one day. Well I found where they keep em, um, it's the sheds behind the pig stalls, a good place to hit em. Um, most. Would think it's just a smell over pigs, come on. They were moving at a faster pace now that the taller sibling was leading through the crowd. Something inside of Merida made her turn her head behind her. There, shrinking, bobbing in and out of her view, a man gazing at her was being lost in the waves of the crowds. That man was MacGuffin. He stood on the podium, his heart breaking in his eyes, she knew he wanted to be with her, but he was a lord and his clan needed him. There was no chance Grant would be following her this night, this may be the last time they would look at each other again. Grant knew that too, he lifted his giant paw of a hand, Merida felt her heart squeeze in her chest. She raised her own hand to the Lord of Castle MacGuffin, maybe it was to thank him, or to say goodbye, whatever reason, it pained her more than the broken arm had. Grant nodded and smiled, then turned and hurried to the head of the moving wave of people, the ships were being launched in the storm, they would face the invaders on the land and meet them on the ocean waves. Hamish and Harris would flank their father in battle, they would be fighting the Norsemen on the land. Even in the rain the smell was noticeable as they approached the pig pens. Two men from Clan Macintosh dragged a dead Norseman each to the shed as Merida and Hubert hid themselves behind a stone wall of the sheep barn. They went unnoticed hidden in the blinding rain by the men dragging the fresh bodies. The men quickly went into the sheds and then left just as fast returning to battle. Merida grabbed at her brother as he went to approach the sheds as the Macintosh men departed. Digging her heels in the slick grass under her feet she grabbed his hand stopping him. She yelled at Hubert, her dress had clung to her heavily being fully saturated with rain. But Merida's voice was drowned out by the hard downpour. What? Hubert turned to his sister. Hubert! Get my horse! She took her bow off her shoulder and looked for the knife that was in her fletch of arrows. Hubert held up his arms in confusion. What horse was she talking about? What does it even look like? Hubert was not much of an early riser and Merida was already back from her morning ride by the time he decided to get out of bed. He had never seen the animal before. Ask a boy named Eves. Marida turned her brother into the direction of the stables, giving him a hard push. The stable boy, Squire, would still be in the castle's stables arming the cavalry, he would still be there. Go run. He's in the stables. Hubert stretched his long deer legs and bolted with notable speed over the grass. Merida took off her underskirts and cut the top lacing off her corset. She gave a stretch the lacing undid itself inside her fine dress, and she was able to breath. Much better. The princess tossed back the mop of her hiding her face. Somehow in the cold rain she was warm and unfeeling, a twinkle in her eyes shone. She notched an arrow and ran the rest of the way to the shed. The door was unlatched and she kicked it open her hands on a fully drawn bowstring ready to fire. But the shed was empty save for the smell of death. She released slowly on the string holding the arrow, and held both arrow and bow in one hand, her attention to where the smell came from. She turned many blankets over, looked under piles of hay, knocked on the walls to see if they were hollow, but no luck. She was frustrated and let out an angry yell throwing a stool clear across the room. She had little time to waste, and every moment she heard the war drums sounding through the hills, somewhere out there. Men were dying. The stool landed with a curious thud. The floor was hollow. Marida threw herself at the floorboards and swept away at the hay and blankets frantically with her hands. There she found a handle and as she pulled on it with all her strength it gave way just as the door to the shed opened. It was pitch black outside though it was approaching daylight somewhere past the clouds. Merida was not one to be caught off guard, she tossed the hatch door at the person who opened the door and in those seconds where the trap door lid was airbound she had fletched and drawn her bow. But it was not a Norseman, it was her brother and he threw himself to the wall to avoid the oncoming door that broke in half as it collided with the stone wall beside him. Forehead, Bampot. You almost killed me. Hubert seed, the little squire Eves peered in uneasily at Merida, small fingers pinching his nose at the smell that came from within the room. Hubert. Did why you bring? She smiled at her brother but he cut her off. I? I did just that. Brought the tally washer, oh, the horse you asked for. Woot is next. Hubert was obviously shaken and was now in a foul mood but smacking his hand to his face to cover his nose he stomped in towards the hole in the floor. What kind of hell beast D.E. is there? Hubert looked down the hole. Now what? Marida's brother looked up at her. We need T bring those men w, us attach them, Tth horse. Marida grabbed some rope and her bow was across her chest again. Hubert looked like he was going to throw up from the smell, but brave little Eves ran inside the shed and found a trace and a yoke that he quickly tacked up her horse with. Eves was using the stool she had thrown to get the yoke over the horser's head. Hubert took a man who was quite a bit rotten under the shoulders and lifted him as much as he could. There were only four dead men left under the floorboards. Two rotten and two fresh. Not knowing what the creature liked, they took one of each. The two redheads attached the men together and then to the tracers, it was set up so the princess could cut the yoke off the horse and make a clean getaway, leaving the men behind. Hubert had no idea why his sister wanted the men attached to her horse. What exactly are we hoping to accomplish with this? Hubert looked at his sister as Merida hopped on the stool with one leg and leapt clean on top of the horse bareback. Hubert went to join her but she tightened her heels and the horse launched forward and Hubert felt the horse's hide slip out of reach under his large hands, she was gone. Gee by Hubert. And like that she made it for the forest. Why numpty. Dunya get yourself killed. Hubert was sore that he was ditched by his own sister, but she was going to travel much faster by herself than if he had come along and weighed her down. Hubert ran for the castle again, Eve's following in haste. Merida was riding as fast as the horse could take her, she would have had a hard time remembering where Krum temple was but she had help. There in front of her she could make out the blue flames for a moment as she bolted towards them, their beautiful moans only audible as she drew past. The rain only worsened as it lashed at Merida's face. It had become hard to see not only the wisps but the path, the drops blinding her as she squinted in the storm. Merida made it to the caves, the boulder was an obstacle she could not push out of the way by herself. The horse barely made it to a full stop when she leapt from his back. Merida attached the extra rope she carried with her all the way around the boulder and then back to the horser's ties. Come in, your beauty. She soothingly stroked the workhorser's nose as the rain washed over them, let's all see what you got, common. She gave him a gentle pull and the horse hunched its shoulders into the weight of the yoke and the boulder began to move. Hurry now. The horse snorted and pushed harder as the round stone gained some speed, Merida cut the rope and led the horse by the mane away from the rolling stone's path. The circle of stone rolled right off its track. There would be no holding Crumb any longer in his underground shelter. He was free. Merida could feel her heart pound, the horse reacted the same way, but there was no sign of the monster. The horse was quickly tied to the nearby sacrificial rock. Something had to be done to draw out Kram. Merida, with eyes glued to the gaping darkness of the open cave before her, approached the dead men still tied to her horse. Her knife drawn, she punctured the bloated body with her knife, gasses escaped with a hissing sound and it belched clotted blood and melted flesh as Merida continued to the next man. The puncture wounds from the rotted man let some liquid seep to the ground. But was it enough? From what Merida remembered the monster's eyes were small and looked night-blind. Maybe he would need a trail to follow, like a snake. She swung her knife over her head and came down on the fresh body with both hands on the handle, the blade sunk to its hilt. Drawing her sleeves up Marida ripped a large slit into the freshly dead man, and plunged her hands into his still warm belly. Grabbing a handful of hagfish-like intestines she ripped them out of her bottom was covered from the elbows down in blood and cleaned her knife off on her rolled-up sleeve, there was no saving her fine dress now. She rubbed her hands on the grass and jumped on her horse cutting his ties to the rock, her knife put back in its sheath with a shaking hand. Cumminkumon, Merida felt like she was going to be sick, Acid had built up in her stomach from the adrenaline. Where was he? The seconds felt like hours while she was waiting for something to happen. The horse whinnied under her from the smell of blood, pacing his feet, and Merida stroked his neck, shushing him to be calm. Merida petted the horse calmly as her eyes were fixed on the cave's opening. Eyes, many, many, black unblinking eyes looked at her, and Merida looked back. Run. Chapter 20 MacGuffin watched as the ships came in. There were at the very least ten visible boats on the raging seas, the trenches turned to mud, the grass was a slimy dark green, almost black in the shadows of the storm. There was no more sun, it hid itself behind the clouds, and the rain came down on a slant. Macintosh and Dingwall boats had shoved off and met some of the raiders on the sea. The clansmen were the very best sailors, being small, strong and wiry, unlike the men of Clan MacGuffin. There they stood, shields ready, walking calmly forward in neat rows to battle. Lord Grant MacGuffin watched the men in front of him wage war on the sandy shore below the castle Macintosh. Grant's second in command, his father's best man, nodded at Grant. Giving a nod back Grant raised a large fist to motion to. His men to halt. By his last head count they had over fifty men in his clan. The boats ahead of them would hold that much for each boat. They were grossly outnumbered, but the men stood stoic. Grant was the last defense when he saw Clan MacIntosh give the signal, three flaming arrows shot straight up in the air, then they would advance. Behind the band of men stood another legion, this one being the king's own men. The red-haired brigade was two hundred strong, but it was the honour of being a lord that made his own clansmen shield the larger group of men. The men wagging war tonight were soaked to the bone. If Merida had been there she would have remarked on how Grant looked. For he was the same man then as he had been months ago when they first met at his home. He was dead to the screams and the drums, looking forward with scary calm. MacGuffin held his long sword in one monstrous hand and the other held up a wood and bronze shield. He had seen many battles, some as young as when he was merely fourteen, his men had confidence in their young lord for he reminded them of his father in almost every aspect. He even fit into his father's armour. The men around him vibrated, they wanted more than life itself to fight on the shore, they beat their shields in tune to the war drums. Amidst this chaos, Grant MacGuffin held onto the old words of his father from previous battles fought. Fools look tea tomorrow when wise men use at night. Grant whispered the words under the drumming rain, but the man at his side caught them in his ears. Gant's second in command nodded again. I the bastards rush forward and then make a lin o shields. The Northmen were known to have a strategy, their defense was great. But if they could only break that wall. It's a raining, I don't ken if fire would help. Then it came to Grant. Get the pikes. We are going to have tea t- keep them at a long range. If they had a wall of their own, the Northmen would have to break their ranks. The man beside him nodded. But before he could make the orders clear to the men around him, his lord grabbed his upper arm in seriousness. How many people know? Grant looked a bit sad. What are you talking about, Lord? The man looked in confusion at his best friend's son, now standing just as tall as he once did. Grant would outgrow him in a few years. He would be a giant. The lord looked onward to battle. His long blond beard heavy with rain. His eyes distant. How many men do I fancy as the daughter of our king? The man in green tartan beside him scoffed and shook his head. Grant MacGuffin is always surprised with his quick wit. He was large but he had spent many hours reading and listening, this made him as quick as a whip. There was no lying to him. Most suspect some sort of a feelings. The hall where I held back a watched her leave, did their dash. Ake new lord. We all can much before that. Less than a hundred yards from Merida's father, the king stood. It was extremely brash to talk of the princess this way so close to the king. But by the looks of it, if anyone was going to be able to fight the bear king one-on-one, the person with the highest chance of surviving would be the son of the gold mountain, Grant MacGuffin. Then it will me surprise them when I tell her father I will have another. The rain was cold, but Grant's words chilled the man to the very marrow of his bones. Grant was serious, he had not even stuttered his vow. His father's best friend clasped him by the shoulder and gave it a hard grip and shake. Grant looked over at the man who was smiling with approval and a tear in his eye. Grant had turned into a man, he had no fear and was no longer timid of his desires, the golden mountain would be proud. Merida was known for her ability to ride. Some in her clan even feared racing her, but she used her time riding to think, to escape. Even as she dodged the limbs of trees something felt at peace with her. The faces of her family came to her like the wisps appeared on the trail in front of her. Her brothers and her father had not sent her home. She earned her place as a warrior, for she and her family knew she was always a warrior but now it was known to all the clans. She felt as if she was flying, and many would swear that she was as her speed was the greatest many had ever seen. Merida had rode on the backs of the family dogs when she was just able to stand, then she gravitated to horses. Ever since then her mother complained Merida smelled of the barn. but how was her mother to know what the freedom of flying felt like? The trees slammed to the ground close behind her, as a great worm from the underworlds ripped through them. Eve was right, the horse she rode tonight was the fastest she had ever seen. Merida marveled as his feet thundered like the very war drums of the gods. Her body fought its natural reaction to tighten her fear of what fell trees behind her. If she tensed up now, she would fall. She did not dare look back but loosened her. Reins on her horse. The horse's neck flattened and he ran as a cat would, bending wildly forward, he reached terrifying speeds as his mane whipped her in the face painfully. The rain was not helping, and her heart nearly broke with anticipation. Any moment he could slip in this stern mud. Merida noted betraying her courage for a moment, thankfully she kept the side effects of fear from her body. Now was not the time for failure. Above her the birds shot from their hiding places and flew past her overhead through the thundering rain. They would risk drowning, being trampled, or being struck out of the sky, then have to face the ancient god behind them. Merida had raced men before, but never had she raced time. Never had she wished to challenge her speed against a god, against fate. Merida would have never believed the stakes would ever be this high, the lives of her clansmen, her family, her brothers and her father. Their fates were resting with her and a once crazed unrideable horse. Deer and foxes streaked out of the foliage to dart ahead of her, some fell behind being too sick or too weak, some slipped in the mud. Merida knew their fate as Krum Kruetch did not discriminate what a meal looked like for a mouth that could swallow a small home hole would always be hungry. Crone was usually never satisfied, but after his great fast, he was driven to a madness of hunger, for blood. The forest exploded behind her, ancient trees crashed to the floor, the path that was wide enough for two horses riding side by side was not wide enough for Crom. With furry only a giant could conjure he slithered forward slamming into old oaks and splintering them with the might of his anger. If Merida was on open ground, she would have been swallowed by the rows and rows of teeth by now, but the forest had bided her enough time to start to make a growing gap between her and her pursuer. The trees that Tharnu planted herself. Caused Crum the most grief, as it wounded him as he splintered them. His anger grew as the gap of space between him and his meal of human flesh widened, so multiplied his strength and madness. The sounds of the monster behind her grew farther away and he wailed in frustration. Merida never gave herself a moment of feeling triumphant. Tragedy becomes those who celebrate early, but the rain lessened its sting those moments it seemed, and she yelled encouragement down to her horse. Three arrows shot to the clouds, the signal was given. MacGuffin raised his sword and a band of MacGuffin warriors walked forward. Their bard drew a breath and started their own battle song, Thunder sounded as they marched towards the docked Norse ships. One was aflame as two others stood unscathed on the sand. Fear struck Grant. There in the mayhem was a man swinging a warhammer. He was Norse and he too had an oodle symbol carved into the flesh of his forehead. A berserker. There was more, more than the one. They wore the skins of animals and laughed, howled like wild beings. They had lost their minds long ago. Memories of Grant's first battle-fighting beside Merida came back to him. Merida lay at the feet of one of them, her head moments away from being smashed to pieces by the shield of a berserker, like the ones that stood to meet them on the battlefield. Grant was hyper-aware of the stitches he had been given by one of their blades. He raised his arm and roared, his clansmen followed. The Norsemen looked up and smiled at the oncoming mass of men. But Grant MacGuffin heard something above the roar of his fifty men and battled ahead of them. He turned to the forest that stood four hundred yards from where the Norsemen stood. The trees. Grant put down his sword, and looked in shock to the woods. His men followed his gaze. There, trees wider than three men could wrap their hands around, fell. The thunder that was mistaken from coming from the cloud-crowded skies had come from the woods beside them. The men of Clan MacGuffin silenced in such a way that put fear into the clansmen of Dunbroke behind them. King Fergus pushed through the crowd to join Lord MacGuffin. The Bear King was about to open his mouth when he glanced at what Grant had been transfixed on. His daughter. mm Meridarar. The Bear King roared over the clash of war. Merida burst from the treeline like a salmon would from a rapid river. She was alive. Grant was the first to cheer, and it heightened the emotions of the men. They clapped and yelled and started as a run towards the battle, but King Fergus held back Grant with his monstrous hand. King Fergus had his eyes on the trees and he was right to stop the young lord. For behind the woman Grant loved the most was what they all feared in the darkest of nights. It was Crum. Grant only saw a glimpse of him once, but to witness the beast in its entirety made the men too afraid to even shout out. Before they could swing a single sword the men of the oncoming brigade skidded to a halt as they witnessed a monster slither with great speed towards them. The rider ran into the crowd of warring men, and time broke from its stillness. Northmen and berserkers alike witnessed what they believed was a monster by a different name. As the monster rushed through them into the water, following the red-haired rider on her black horse they fell upon the ground moaning their own name for the beast Jormungand. The giant snake seemed endless in the rain that made it hard to see past a couple hundred yards or so. Grant pushed past the tightness of his stitches threatening to rip open as he ran as fast as his body would take him. The red-haired woman he pledged to protect was being chased by a nightmare turn to reality. Cruach gave out a screech of pleasure, of triumph as he swept up dead and live men into his mouth of endless teeth. Nearby men dropped to the ground, blood running from their broken eardrums, the sound was similar to iron tearing against iron. Crom needed more, he was frenzied being surrounded by the dead but still he chased the woman on horseback as she led the horse into the waves. Crom ripped through the men but once in the water he lost all smell of the maiden. His eyes, though accustomed to the darkness, were useless to pinpoint the small human. Then something drew his attention. Hundreds of bodies thrashing in the water. Merida watched as the god crew Kruach dove past her. The horse reared his head above the waves, his eyes large and white from fear of the serpent. Merida was soaked and trying to catch her breath between the walls of water that pounded her, the horse slipped from under her and she was adrift. Still she watched the great worm. Has this been enough? On land behind her was a great charge of men, shaped as a spear. At its peak was Lord MacGuffin, and her father the Bear King. The large force of men had seen their crown princess dive into the water with her mount, and lost her there in the Black Sea. Their rage was almost as great as the blood god Crom's. The spear-shaped legion of men broke the Viking defences, but they did not stop, they continued to the water. The north men were terrified by the sight of Crom, and had weakened their ferocity. It had been enough to break something. An onlooker would have felt it. It was a type of seasickness, the snap of a breaking string of fate affecting everyone near it. Fate had begun to change.